Jordan, you hear me all right? Okay. We'll, we'll forego the, the portable mic because I don't have anywhere to put it really. So good to see you all. Appreciate you coming out on a Friday night when people could find a whole lot of things to do than come to a church building. We appreciate your interest in God and God's Word and very much appreciate the invitation to study this topic with you. Uh, I want to thank Danny and Kathy having us over to their house this evening. Uh, Danny is a top-notch lasagna maker. I did not know that was in his skill set, but very, very good meal. And, uh, but then he proceeded to torment us because he started pulling out all these little puzzles, little wood box puzzles and wire puzzles. And, and so, I, I don't know, I might be feeling kind of stressed out at this point from that. But, uh, uh, but th thank you very much for, for asking me to come speak. Uh, as was said, I, I was told that, that I needed to be thinking about marriage and the family. And, uh, you know, as, as time went on, um, uh, I've had feelings that I'm woefully inadequate to, to teach this lesson. Uh, I've, I've been in a marriage for almost 35 years, and, and surely Kathy is the better half of that arrangement. I, I just appreciate her. Well, you're absolutely right there. Um, you know, I, we, we all make our share of mistakes, and and wrong steps along the way, and I've made my share of mine too. Uh, but fortunately, we, you don't have to rely on my thoughts because we have this. We, we have this guidance. So, um, and then as, as you get asked to do a meeting, you start counting up. Well, I got five lessons, Friday night, Saturday night, and three times Sunday. And so then you kind of simultaneously start thinking, well, what can I possibly talk about for five lessons on the same subject? And then you also have the thought, well, how can I narrow this down to five lessons on the subject? Because that's all I've got. So hopefully this will benefit you and us because there is no more important subject for us to think about. The marriage, the family is so integral to God's plans for us here in this life. It is something that, that God talks about in his word, and it's something that is under attack. Maybe it's always been under attack, but it just seems in this day and time, in the 21st century, with, with, with media, with, with the internet, with social media, with uh, the news, with entertainment and, and Hollywood, it just seems from all sides God's concept of marriage and the home is just under assault, that people feel that it's antiquated, it's outdated, and we don't need to go by those old definitions and standards, and we need to, to expand and come up with something new. But I think we still see that God's ways are best, and hopefully we come away appreciating that. Um, this evening, I want to read Matthew chapter 19, the first 12 verses, and that's, that's going to kind of be our, our central uh, place for, for the next few minutes. Matthew chapter 19, verse 1 says, Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. 
And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. They come to Jesus, Matthew says, testing him, tempting him. We, we see in, in the Gospels as Jesus' teachings have, have spread and uh, uh, have caused somewhat of commotion because he, he is sometimes in conflict with the Jewish leadership. Jewish leadership feels threatened by Jesus and his followers. Uh, they, they, uh, Jesus is disruptive to their status quo. Uh, and, and they begin to, to present him with what they think are a series of difficult questions. They come to him time and time and time again. And they press him with these questions. And, and you know maybe they're trying to pin him down on as far as which of the rabbis schools of thought on this subject he aligns himself with maybe they're just trying to get him in trouble with the crowd maybe maybe they're just just hoping that that he's going to say the wrong thing that they can you know in the modern world turn into a sound blurb to use against him and and, and turn people against him but but they they come to him and they ask him this question in verse Verse 3, they say, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? For any cause. Is it lawful? Well, to who? What law? What law are we speaking of? Are we speaking of the law of the Roman Empire? Are we speaking about the customs of, of uh, the nation of Israel? What law are we addressing? Well, they, they've used this same phrase other times. In Matthew chapter 12 and, and in verse 10, they come to him uh, about healing and they ask him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? And in Matthew 22 and, and in verse 17, they come to him there and they ask, is it lawful to give tribute to pay taxes to Caesar? And, and so... Uh, you're talking about religious themes about healing on the Sabbath and, and, and these sorts of things. They're, they're not asking, is it lawful according to civil government? Of course it's lawful to pay taxes. Now, that's not the question. Is it lawful to God 
What, what does God's law say about this Jesus? That, that's what their question is, and that's how Jesus perceives it. And, and so the question is, is it lawful to divorce your, your wife or your husband for just any reason? Well, good question, isn't it? Because certainly in today's world we think so. People divorce one another for just all kinds of reasons. About half the people that get married end, end up divorced for one reason or another. And, and there are dozens of reasons if you get on the internet and, and poke around. But these are the six or seven that bubble up to the top the most. Reasons that people divorce in today's world. You have infidelity, adultery, you know, cheating on your spouse. That, that you know, leads to divorce often. Then you have money problems. You know, finances, because we're, we're so obsessed with, with stuff and, and, and the accumulation of wealth and property, and, and, and we can't agree on how to handle our finances. And then there's lack of communication. You know, we, we just don't talk to each other. We, when we were dating, we talked to each other all the time. But then we got married, and the kids came along, and, and, and somehow we, we lose interest of anything to talk to each other about. And it's just all about the kids, and maybe the kids move away. And, and now we're just staring across the room at some stranger, it seems like, and, and we just don't talk. We just can't communicate with each other. Lack of intimacy. Uh, they say familiarity breeds contempt, I guess. And, and you know, we, we don't kiss, we don't hug, we don't touch like we used to. We don't have sex like we used to. One person wants it more than the other. Addiction issues, drugs, alcohol, drive divorce. Abuse, of course, causes marriages to split up. And then there's, then there's the classic, we just grew apart. We just grew apart. What does that mean? We grew apart. We just fell out of love. Because pop culture says that you fall into love and then you fall out of love. And falling is an accident. You know, falling is something that, that's not my, my fault. We, we don't choose to fall when we fall down. And, and so uh, books and, and movies and songs, all the love songs out there in the world, paint this picture that love is just this weird, magical thing that it just kind of happens. You know, Cupid's got his little bow and his arrows and he shoots you and you just fall in love and you can't really help it and then well it'll just just kind of like you got into love you just kind of all of a sudden you wake up one morning and you're out of love and really several of these things all interrelate that we, we just kind of quit trying along the way don't we we just kind of lose focus on what's important we, we just kind of start taking things for granted and, and we don't pay attention like we used to and, you know, when we were dating and we were trying to catch that person, oh, we, we would dress up real nice and we would put on the makeup and fix our hair and, and put on the cologne or the perfume and we'd wash the car before we go pick her up. And everything just has to be perfect because we want to impress that person. And once we get the ring, then we're in sweatpants eating Cheetos on the couch because eh, we've already got them now. Why, why try anymore? And, you know, seriously, that, that, that's what tends to happen to people, isn't it? Reasons people divorce. Can, can we just divorce for any reason, Jesus? 
well, what, what does, does Jesus uh, just, just kind of stroke his beard and look up and say, well, it seems to me, no, Jesus says, have you not read? Have you not read? Je- Jesus always appeals to Scripture for authority. What, what a novel concept. Let's look at God's inspired word and see what God says. Have you not read, Jesus says. And, and Jesus says, have you not read in the beginning? From the beginning. Jesus turns us all the way back to Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman. And he wants us to think about them. And, the, and God's setting up of the first home in the book of Genesis. In the beginning. We're, we're bypassing the law of Moses because it's not applicable to us as disciples of Jesus. Colossians 2 and, and verse 14 uh, you know, is one place. Ephesians chapter 2 is another where Paul comments on the fact that that the Old Testament is not our standard of authority uh, anymore. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Jesus isn't interested in explaining the law of Moses. He's, He's taking us all the way back to Adam and Eve. It's Genesis. And he says... Uh, In verse 4, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning? He who created them. Point number one, we're created by God. We didn't evolve out of a puddle of goo on the primordial earth. We we did not uh, somehow through random genetic mutations, uh, some random chemicals came together with a spark of lightning and created a little one-celled critter that turned into a multi-celled critter that turned into a fish that turned into a reptile that turned into a mammal that turned into a primate that turned into human beings. We're created by God. Uh, we, we are the result of intelligent design, and, and that's not the, the focus of the lessons this weekend of course, but Psalm 100 and verse 3, uh, the writer says, if I can get my pages to separate here, I can kind of paraphrase it, but I'd rather read it. Um, This is what happens when you get a new Bible and you go speak to a crowd. Know that the Lord, he is God, it is he who made us, and we are his, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. The Lord has made us, and we are his. He has the right to to define us because he made us. He has the right to rule over us because he made us. And and, and we live in a world today where where we're trying to change the definition of things. You know, there's stories where, where some woman marries a tree in her backyard. Because she just loves that tree. Or, or somebody uh, saw a story one time about a lady that wanted to marry herself in, in a ceremony. You know, and, 
and, and we're trying to change how things are defined. And, and in the abortion issue, there's, there's my body, my choice, right? Well, no, it's not my body. It's God's body. God created us. God made us. We belong to him. And, and, and he has the right, the potter who, who forms the clay, to govern us. We, we do not have autonomy over our bodies. We are made by God in God's image. Genesis 1 and verse 26, where, where God says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God made us and he made us for a purpose and he made us differently than he made all the other creatures that roam on the earth. And he made us superior to the other creatures to have dominion over them. We're made in God's image. Have you not read that he which made them in the beginning made them male and female? God created two genders. Not three, not five, and not 34. And, and nothing that I say this weekend is meant with any hatred or ill will or, or to be condescending toward anyone. You know, well, some of these things, most of us, if not all of us in the room, sort of, sort of take some of these th things for granted. Uh, but, but there are people that don't know. And there are people that struggle with these issues. And there are people that, that have, from the moment they've been born, society has taught them that, that gender is fluid and something that, that I should pick out for myself. And there's not just two, but there's a whole multitude of them. And, and I just got to somehow figure out which one of those 57 different uh, you know, slots I fit into. And, and I'm sure it's a struggle for some people. But, but we're, again, we're not interested in human philosophy here. We're interested in what God has done and what God has said. And God assigns genders, male and female. And God assigns gender roles, male and female. And God's order, as we read there a second ago in Genesis 1, 27 and 28, that God made humanity male and female, God's order is logical. It makes sense because God wanted people to reproduce and he makes two genders to bring those two set pieces of DNA together to make one unique individual. And transgenderism is not part of God's plan. Not approved by God. It, it, it's, it's chaotic and, and disorderly. And the things that God does are, are orderly. Because as 1 Corinthians 14 verse 33 says, God is not the author of confusion. God's the, order of, the author of peace and orderliness. Man is, you know, we, we're big on confusion. We, we want to make exceptions to everything and loopholes to everything. 
we'll just look at the tax laws and, and, and you know, the things that, that our legislatures and our congresses come up with. But, but things are simple with God. God. God makes things so they're not convoluted. In the beginning, God made them male and female and, and said that for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast, cleave, be glued to his wife, which already gives us some indication as to what Jesus thinks about the permanency of marriage by using that, that term, uh, the King James Version, cleave to his wife, which means that we two are glued together. Man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Jesus, of course, is quoting here from Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 24, where uh, the author of Genesis notes that, that after God has made all of these things in the created order, and it's all been good, there's something that's not good. In Genesis 2, 18, the Lord God said, it is not good. What's not good? That the man should be alone. I will make him a helper, fit for him, meet for him, suitable for him. Uh, we need somebody. We, we are social creatures. We, we crave interaction. We want somebody to talk to, to bounce thoughts off of, to share our, our triumphs and our failures with. It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And, and the text goes on to say, now that God brings all the animals in front of Adam, and Adam notices that there's a male and a female of each, of each creature, and, and that there, there's nobody for him. And, and so then God, <clears throat> verse 21, caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There's the standard. There's the prototype, if you will, for the family. And Jesus refers us back to that. In the beginning, in answering the Pharisees' question, the home is the oldest of human institutions. It predates earthly governments. It predates the church. It predates any kind of civic organizations that are out there. The home is the original human institution, and it's created by God for specific purposes. The home meets our material needs. You know, it helps us to, to acquire food, clothing, and shelter to protect us from the elements and to help us survive because you have two people working together, building something together instead of one person by themselves. It supplies our emotional needs because we, it is not good for us to be alone, as, as God said there in Genesis 2. It supplies our sexual needs because 
God told the man and woman to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and, and that uh, allows for children to be raised with two positive influences, one from each gender, and, and for the children to learn examples of love and forgiveness and, and, and peaceableness and, and responsibility. And we're going to talk about that some Sunday night, a little more about the things that the home has to teach folks. And the home should provide for our spiritual needs because it should provide an atmosphere for, for both of us and our children to worship God together and to learn about God forever. It's a perfect construct by our Creator. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. What God has joined together, God joined male and female. Homosexuality is wrong. And again, I, I don't have any hatred towards someone who's of that lifestyle. I, I don't advocate physically or verbally or mentally abusing anyone. I don't you know, advocate we shouldn't go out and, and burn crosses in, in someone's front yard if they're gay or lesbian or transgender. People should be treated with love and with respect, but it's wrong. And a lot of things are wrong. Adultery is wrong. Sex outside of marriage, fornication is wrong. And, and you know, as human beings, we like to grade sins, and we like to judge sins and say, well, this, this one's real small and this one's real big. And I think homosexuality kind of revulses a lot of people because it, it just seems to be against the natural order things itself, very much as, as Paul says in Romans chapter 1 in verses 26 and 27, <clears throat> where he talks about a, a lot of different sins that the world fell into when they forgot about God, but for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. The men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. It's sin, it's wrong. But again, there are other things Paul mentions, uh, malice and, and murder and envy and strife and deceit and gossip and slander and, and all these things are sin as well. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9, uh, Paul says to the Corinthians, the Corinthian church, uh, city of Corinth was a large city with, with very immoral lifestyles in the heart of the Roman Empire, and, and Paul talks about things that are wrong there. He says, do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral or idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And he goes ahead to the Corinthians to say, such were some of you, 
but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The, the Corinthians were guilty of all kinds of sins before coming to Christ, but now they're cleansed from those things and they're not to practice them anymore. And being gay or lesbian is not something we're born with. It's, it's something we choose to do. Now, some of us are born with different tendencies. Some people have an attraction to alcohol, and some people could care less. And some people may have an attraction to this or that, and, and other people could care less. But just because I have a, a temptation to do something doesn't mean that I have no control over it. One of each in Matthew 19. Polygamy. One guy with four wives, one woman with three husbands. Also wrong. Not in accordance with God's plan. Yeah, there are some folks in the Old Testament, some, some men, some of the kings that, that have multiple wives. But there, there's no place that says God approves of that. And every one of those stories, there's always problems that come from that, if you'll notice. Polygamy is wrong. And we need to be joined by God for sexual fulfillment. Sex outside of marriage is wrong. 1 Corinthians 6, again, Paul talks at length about sexual immorality there. He says, uh, starting in verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Flee fornication. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Well, what's the big deal? It's just a piece of paper. Why does it matter? It'd be good for us to spend time together and test things out to see if we're really compatible with one another before we take the step that's human reasoning. That's hu the devil's reasoning that, that people buy into. Statistics do not prove that that helps marriages succeed at all. If in, in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, then Paul tells us, so, so sexual immorality is wrong, it's a sin, so... Why, so what are we supposed to do with those desires? Well, verse 2, because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And Paul says in verse 5, Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. The two shall become one, and what God has joined together, what God has joined together, because there, there are those that are married, human laws or traditions or customs but not joined by God 
Because we have in Matthew chapter 14, we have John the Baptist confronting Herod the king about his marriage to Herodias, uh, which is one of his relatives, his sister-in-law, I believe. Uh, In Matthew 14, verse 3, Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. It's not lawful for you to be married to her, Herod. Again, in the eyes of the Roman Empire, no, they didn't care. Who's it not lawful with? It's not lawful with God. Because Herod had stolen somebody else's wife and taken her for himself. He had seduced her away from the other guy. And the marriage was legal, but it wasn't approved by God. It was not lawful, John said. So there's a, there's a difference there between those two ideas. What God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus said. The scriptures teach that God hates divorce. In Malachi chapter 2, King James Version says God hates divorce. God hates putting away. The, The English standard that I've got here says starting in verse 13, that that you have covered the Lord's altar with tears and weeping. Why? Verse 14, because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So, Guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. It's a a violent thing. It's a treacherous thing, the the King James Version says. We're we're covering our garment with, with violence by committing divorce. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 10, 11. You know, the, the Corinthians were, were living in a pagan society, an idolatrous society, and, and some of them had heard the gospel and obeyed it and become Christians. And, and I think some of them legitimately were questioning, you know, should I, I'm married to this person and I'm a disciple of Jesus and she's not. Should I stay with her or should I distance myself from her? And, and Paul says... Um, to the married, I give this, this charge. Not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. God does not want divorce. God does not like divorce. Divorce is everywhere. Everybody in this room, our family has been touched by it, has been affected by it in some capacity, somebody, and and it it causes turmoil, it causes havoc, it it harms the parties involved, it harms the children that that have to be torn between the two parents, 
it, it causes guilt and it causes anger and it causes resentment and it causes financial catastrophe and, and it causes children to, to lose faith in, in God because mom and dad who, who have raised them and taught them about God, now they're not following God's instructions. Why should I? Why, does that, why should that matter to me? And, and it's a terrible, terrible thing. It's a terrible thing. And our society is, has made us immune to, uh, hardened to it, that, oh, it just happens all the time. Everybody just does it. And, and, and we just enter into these relationships saying, well, if it doesn't work out, I'll, I'll, I'll just get rid of it. it like, like sending something back you ordered from Amazon. You know, if, I, if I don't like it, I'll just send it back. And that's how we treat human beings. Jesus condemns divorce. Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. It, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. That, that, that was the common thought of the time. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus condemns divorce. Marriage is a permanent commitment. Marriage is symbolized in the relationship between Christ and his church. In Ephesians 5, Paul, Paul makes that comparison Starting in um, verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There's that passage again from Genesis 2. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Paul uses marriage as this analogy for Christ and us as his church. How much did Christ love the church? He gave everything. He sacrificed everything. He was willing to die for the betterment of, of the bride, of the church. And... and is there ever a scenario where Jesus is going to look at his bride, the church, and just say, I give it up and walk away? Of course not. Of course not. Permanency. Permanent relationships. Lifelong relationships. Now, the, the, the Pharisees, 
they're, they're maybe kind of kind of appalled when Jesus says this. They, they, they just can't believe maybe that he's saying it. And, and so they counter. They come back, well, then why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Well, they go back to Deuteronomy chapter 24 and, and verses 1 and 2 in the law of Moses. And it says over there, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her or uncleanness in her. Now what does that mean? See, there, there's a whole school of thought on what indecency was. Is that talking about adultery, about immorality? And, and, and some people believe that. And some people, some of the Jews were like, well, that, that just means if, if she doesn't make you happy anymore. If she doesn't cook, her, cook the food to suit you. That, that's some indecency. And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. And she departs out of his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife, after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land. This is a protection for women that God has placed in the law of Moses. In, in a time 3,000 years ago, when, when, when men just oftentimes treated women like property, that they, they could just trade like trading horses or tools or knives or something that, that this regulation is put here to stop people from just swapping their wives back and forth with each other can't do that well if if, if you send her away and she gets married to someone else you can't ever take her back so so this is real serious and you need to think about this before you do this now question did Moses command anybody to divorce anybody? No. You know, they, they phrased the question, why did Moses command somebody to give a certificate of divorce? Well, Moses didn't command anybody to divorce anybody. They, they've twisted the, the, the meaning of things there. They're asking, they're, they're countering Jesus with a question that's nonsensical. It, ha it has no bearing. Moses allowed, Moses regulated divorce because the law of Moses was the civil law for ancient Israel and sometimes governments have to regulate undesirable behaviors to protect people. But Moses didn't command anybody to divorce anybody and, and Jesus said this all came about because of their hardness of heart, because of their stubbornness but from the beginning, it was not so. We're not concerned about what Moses did or didn't do. This is what God set up for the original prototype. What God has joined together, let not man separate. Other passages. Well, and Jesus says, getting ahead of myself, uh, a slide here. Je I 
I say unto you? I say unto you. Jesus is the one with all authority. Matthew 28, verse 18, where he tells the apostles that all authority has in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is the one who says that his words will judge us in the last day. John 12 and verse 48. Jesus is the one who is now Lord and Christ at the right hand of God. Peter said at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. This is, this is the being that I need to pay attention to what he says and, and give myself in obedience to his teaching. And he says that we should not separate what God has joined together. He says in Matthew chapter 5, well, he says in Matthew 19 here, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. In Matthew 5.32, he says, everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And in Mark chapter 10, verses 11 and 12, whoever divorces his wife commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So any way you want to slice and dice these statements of Jesus, he says, if I divorce my spouse, I'm committing adultery. And if I divorce my spouse, I'm causing her or him to commit adultery because she will now be tempted to pursue that relationship that she once had with a new person. And if I marry someone who's been divorced, I commit adultery. That's Christ saying. In two spots there, he says, except on the ground of sexual immorality. And I think Jesus says that because I can only control my own actions. I can't control another person. I, I, I cannot make someone stay with me if they don't want to. I cannot make somebody else change their mind if, if they don't want to. And, and, and you know, reconciliation is, is always desirable. Forgiveness is always desirable. But sometimes that's just not possible in certain situations. And so God and Christ allow this one exception because I can only control myself, not the other person, and God cares about the innocent party in this matter and wants them to, to be able to fulfill their life and their needs and their desires in, in a godly fashion. God never commands divorce. And we look at that and we say, that, that's hard. That's harsh. That, that just doesn't seem right. That just doesn't seem fair. I, I, I just don't understand. 
And, and maybe some people say, well, what about an abusive relationship? If I'm in an abusive marriage, what, what about that? Well, self-preservation is important, is essential. And, and protecting our children is crucial and important. And when you start talking, when you start throwing the label of abuse, are we talking about physical abuse, hitting? Are we talking about verbal abuse, calling, calling names? Or, or are we talking about emotional abuse, uh, which has a, you know, a, a range of, of human definitions of what those things could be? I, I don't know what other people are going through inside the walls of, of their home, but if, if my life is in danger, if the safety of my children is in danger, I need to leave. I need to leave. I need to protect them. Physical abuse is a crime. Law enforcement needs to be summoned. Uh, and, and we ought to turn to our church family for help if there's some abusive situation that I've found myself stuck in the middle of rather than clam up about it and not tell anybody I should be going to my brothers and sisters in Christ and saying I have this problem and we should be helping one another there shouldn't be any embarrassment in that there shouldn't be any accusing in that we, we are God's family we are God's children and we ought to be able to help bear one another's burdens, as Paul says in Galatians chapter 6. Maybe I need to leave the house. Maybe I need to distance from some abusive person, but that's not the same thing as divorce. Again, in, in 1 Corinthians 7-11, if somebody departs, let them remain unmarried or be reconciled. Now, Jesus' disciples, it, it's not just that the Pharisees were uh, kind of upset by Jesus' answer. His own disciples, verse 10, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. His disciples were like, man, Jesus, you're rough. I, uh, well, we might as well just not even get married if that's the way it's going to be. This is serious. This is serious business here. These are, these are serious commitments that we make to one another. And, and, and the disciples are like, I, I just don't know. I just don't know if I want to get married or not now. <clears throat> and, and Jesus makes this statement. Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. There, there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. There are eunuchs who have been made, who've made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let one who is able to receive this receive it. Some, some people don't have sexual desires. So, some people either through birth or through some punishment inflicted on them by, by other people, you know, they, 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 they just don't need that, they don't want that, they're not interested in that. Maybe they don't need to be married. And then he says there are those who have made themselves eunuchs 
for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. That's someone who's been emasculated, castrated. And Jesus is saying there are some people that have foregone sexual intimacy for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. In order to live a life that is pleasing to God, it, it may require me to forego marriage. And you may say, well, that's just not fair. And I can't help that. Uh, it, it's not, I'm not the judge of what's fair. I've had discussions with people about just divorce and remarriage in the past, and that, that's occasion that's where the conversation has led to is well that's just not fair I, I have no control over what's fair or what's not fair uh, I, I heard I think it was here I think it was here last year I don't remember who the preacher was came to the meeting and, and there was and the, the fellow made the statement about somebody said well doesn't God want me to be happy and the answer was no he wants you to be holy That's not what we want to hear, but that's a truthful statement. So, you know, if you're in such a situation, if you've been through such a situation, if you if you want to study on this, I've talked long tonight, I know. You know, if if you want to have further studies or questions about this. Myself or some some of the folks here, I'm sure, will be happy to do that. We don't say anything again with any desire to inflict hurt on anybody. But but I, I think this is the truth of what the word has said, and we've tried to present book, chapter, and verse. And as we go through the rest of the weekend, um, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 tomorrow night for some more thoughts about marriage. Sunday, we're going to look in the Bible class period at some, some marriages, some families in the scriptures, and think about the good and the bad and, and the effects of, of decisions that those folks made. And we're going to think about some things that are enemies of the home, and we're going to think about some of the lessons that we learn from the home. That's kind of, kind of where the weekend is, is heading. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus asked us to give up everything to him. Whatever is important to me in, in this earthly standpoint that I'm in, I, I need to be willing to lay that down to follow Christ, to give my life to Him. And He said to the apostles to go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Christ offers forgiveness and love if we're willing to demonstrate repentance and come to him and we're going to sing we'll stand and sing the song that was selected and if we can be of any assistance to you we invite you